Hello. Hello. I'm Grace. I'm Madeline. And we're Dragon Babies. Dragon Babies. We reread our favorite YA fantasy and sometimes children's fantasy (laughs) classics and discuss why they may be even better for adults. Yes, we do. This week, Ronya the Robber's Daughter by Astrid Lindgren. Definitely the echo of a bear's cave, and maybe we've got some like tinkling brook in the background, maybe some hoots, some forest noises. This one's real complicated. I can't tell if listeners can tell that you're kind of um, conceptualizing fo- of a sound, Foley sound, right? Or just like free associating. <laughs> Yeah, jazz podcast. Because when you speak your own onomatopoeia, it's confusing. You know what I mean? If you don't explain like (laughs) explicitly, this is what's happening here. But I love it and I think it adds a lot of jazz. This episode was requested by listener Michelle, who wrote in about it. Thank you so much, Michelle. I spoke it aloud when I was looking at Michelle's email. And my now uh, mother-in-law, I guess, yeah. <laughs> still getting used to this, and <laughs> sister-in-law, who we went through a COVID-safe quarantine process with for them to be with us for the holidays, um, who are both of Norwegian descent, mm-hmm. were so excited and said that Ronya was just such a wonderful tale and that we would adore it. And I see why. No surprise, we did, Mm -hmm. and we uh, highly recommend this to anyone who needs an escape right now. If you're listening to this podcast, I know that you'll enjoy it as much as we did, and maybe you've already read it. Um, I don't know if it is typical for American fantasy lovers um, to not have come across Ronya, Mm -hmm. because Pippi, Pippi Longstocking, also by Astrid Lindgren, I loved the Pippi books. We were, Um, we had the movie, which, which movie was that? We, uh, we watched that over and over and over again. It was one that we used to rent from Blockbuster. (laughs) Yep, that's why we watched it so And then there was one that we owned that came out later. I did not research the years the Pippi movies came out in preparation. Uh, that is tangentially related, but there are some really bonkers pippies, pippy adaptations out there. There's a lot of content. There's a lot of pippy content. Yeah, yeah, there is. And I love the different directions that it can be taken in. Yeah. But Ronya is a gentler tale than yes. Pippi. Mm-hmm. Um, and Pippi happens like in the real world. Ish. Um, more, much yeah. more so than Ronya. Pippi, I would still call, um, I guess, more magical realism than outright fantasy. Um, But there are uh, supernatural, superhuman things that happen. Um, And it's also very whimsical with like pirate ships. And um, I mean, Pippi has the strength of a hundred men or whatever. That's true. (laughs) She's she's like really strong. I forgot about that. But today is not about Pippi. We're talking about Ronia. Ronia. This book came out much more recently than I realized while reading it. Um, it came out in 1981 in Swedish. It was published into English first in 1983 and then 1985. And that 1985 translation is the one that we read. Um, there may be some confusion because it looks like the two English translations have totally different sets of names for the characters. Come on. Um, so stay with us. <laughs> Sorry about it. <laughs> We do 
thoroughly spoil every book that we cover. If you haven't read this one in a while, take a few lovely hours, sit next to a window where you have some greenery outside, yeah. hopefully. Birdsong. Look out at the trees. Um, yeah, here in February, we don't have a lot of natural beauty going on, but we're in Seattle, so there's there's always something. Probably better than many Probably others. Probably better, I know. <laughs> I know, I shouldn't act like we're not very blessed with our natural surroundings. They call it the Emerald City, Grace. You <laughs> know, they do. <laughs> which uh, I still get confused by sometimes. And I'm just like, Oz? Yeah, no, that was a trip for me too. And whenever I, like every time. We've made it to the Emerald City, Yeah, baby. every time I see or read or hear Emerald City, I see like the the skyline of the Emerald City from Oz. That's like, I don't know. I'm, I'm thinking of like one specific picture of the Emerald City. Yeah, where it shows the green mounds and they're mm-hmm. like glistening yes. and kind of glittery yes. looking. <laughs> they look really yeah. magical. Yeah, those are definitely on the um, original Wizard of Oz VHS cover. Cool. <laughs> that came out. Here's your Wizard of Oz tie-in. A tattered copy <laughs> that I watched every day in the basement oh, yeah. as a child. Yeah. Um, fun. So we will discuss the quickly the cover of the book. Um, there are many, many different editions. This is a beloved book. Astrid Lindgren is a prolific, widely translated and published author. So this edition is the Puffin 1985 ed- edition that we mentioned. And uh, we have this uh, stoic very um like i love the picture of ronia on this cover because she both looks like a child she's got mm-hmm. really rosy cheeks and and her hair is all alive big and curly mm-hmm. and whooshing in the wind um and she also looks like a hero she's in the hero's pose yeah. she she like looks so ready for like she just looks so wise she's unafraid which yeah is important to be in matt's forest yeah and then you have um burke like <laughs> like running towards her in the background burke is really cute <laughs> yeah. yeah and i love how ronia really takes center billing or top billing center stage yes. here yeah I, because like i would not be surprised if they made burke mm-hmm. the main cover character or have them alongside each other Sure. Then I wouldn't be grumpy, but I would be grumpy if it were like Burke on the cover because the book is called Ronya. So I'm getting angry at this imaginary strong man. I really don't think they strong man. Way off now. Um, But this, I love this cover because he's like running after her, being like, "Hey," uh, uh, and I like that it's shown with him being her follower. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. Ronya is always the leader. She's the one with the most agency, whether it's into danger or just on an exploration throughout the wood um, because it's where she was raised. It's where she raised herself, essentially. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. And it's her home. And uh, there's uh, several kinds of uh, fungi Mm -hmm. uh, in this picture. And when I was zooming in to look at some of the lovingly rendered mushrooms, I realized that there's like a little... Little goblin guy there, yeah. <laughs> Either a rump hob yeah. or a stone dwarf. I think he's probably a gray dwarf. A rump hob. 
We have a few <laughs> a few creatures to talk about. We're not sure what a lot of them are. Yeah, because when I hear gray dwarves, I assume that they're just like, you know, like dower hands, if you've ever played Lord of the Rings online. I was like, where are we going? <laughs> um, they're just like grumpy looking dwarves that dress in gray. But these these dwarves are definitely less humanoid in Ronia. Mm-hmm. So that's why I feel like it's probably a rump hob and not a gray dwarf. Probably. I don't Although know. Although <laughs> it's, it's up to you, dear listener. Google rump hob. See what you find. Yeah. Um, and I love her outfit, too. It both looks uh, dignified, yet comfortable, yet completely ragged. Like, it, it really looks like the right clothes. She's, she's dressed... Uh, her period attire matches mm-hmm. the world that she lives in. <laughs> For sure. I think the illustrator also read the book. You can always tell yes. if they've read the whole book or not. This yes. is something we talk about often. Um, based on specific details about her clothing, her hair, about Burke, mm-hmm. um, ab- about her posture and her overall vibe. Yeah. Um, and then about the wood itself, too, I would mm-hmm. say. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I think this is beautiful. Yeah, I love this cover. 10 out of 10. No complaints. And if I had seen this as a child, I absolutely would have picked it up. 100%. And it it also does, like, not only is it a very appealing and engaging cover, like you said, it's very clear the illustrator read the book and it's it's honest. Like, a lot of times you can have a book with a cool mm-hmm. cover, but it's not honest. <laughs> it's not about this book. Yeah, what if instead of depicting this scene of Burke and Ronya running through the forest, which is what Most- happens through most of the book. And it's some of the most important stuff that happens in the book. Right. What if instead it was, you know, harpies descending on them while they're swimming, like going for something that's going to look more action oriented and maybe get more people to pick up the book initially, but is, you know, takes up one page. Yeah, exactly. So I appreciate this cover. Well done person who did it. This cover illustration Mm. is by Trina Shart Hyman. Mm. And the translation uh, is by Patricia Crampton. Everybody's getting credit today. (laughs) Cool. Thank you, researcher Grace. You're welcome. Grace wears many hats. Now we're going to go through the plot of the book. Just a a light little leap through the wood. Like I mentioned, if you haven't read it, I'd recommend reading it before you listen to this. Yeah, I I listen to the audiobook and it's like five hours. Justice. (laughs) So it's a very quick read. The book is about Ronya, who is the robber's daughter, as you might have guessed. And also, like I said, honesty. (laughs) The robber's name is Matt, and her mom's name is Lovis. I think we're pronouncing that correctly. Um, Ronya lives among this group of robbers who live in a cool old castle deep in the wood that they refer to as Matt's wood as if he owns it all okay um typical the day that Ronya is born there is a horrible thunderstorm and lightning splits the castle in two and it seemed like too big a space for the like 12 of them to begin with so they're like okay whatever it's fine we just won't use that half (laughs) so they're sticking on their one side and Ronya grows up there hanging out with the robbers singing and dancing and having a great time when she's old enough her dad and mom say okay it's time for you to be able to go out into the wood. You can leave the castle now. 
and she begins to spend all of her time out exploring. Mm -hmm. And there are a few dangers that she's told to watch for, which are falling into the river because it comes to an end at a great waterfall um, that descends down a sharp cliff that the wood and fortress are up on top of which is how they're so protected from the sheriff and his men because they they are robbing they are robbers (laughs) um and also of some of the creatures that live in the wood mainly the harpies um who are the mythological harpies that we're all familiar with Um, not nice there are less (laughs) specific creatures named gray dwarves and rump hobs um that she also needs to be wary of And the third thing is to watch out not to fall into Hell's Gap, which is the great chasm between the two sides of the castle. Mm -hmm. And Ronya knows that to be in the wood, you can't be afraid because if you're afraid, then the creatures will smell it on you and attack you and you'll be more likely to make mistakes and succumb to one of these dangers that we mentioned so you got to stay positive and then exactly. that way better things will happen to you drive out the dark thoughts mm-hmm. and so Ronia begins practicing not doing any of these things by doing the things <laughs> so she like skips along the side of the river um, and hides from harpies and then she decides to go jump across <laughs> Hell's gap um, over and over again just yeah. to show herself that she won't fall in. <laughs> so it's to, good that she didn't. <laughs> she has to practice not falling in. Um, yeah, she also learns to scale the great cliff that the waterfall goes down to make sure that she isn't going to fall. She's she's amazing. Reminded me of, uh, I just watched this documentary called Free Solo about this oh. cliff. Have you seen it? No, I haven't seen it. I can't watch that. Yeah, that's what it made me think of. No. It's If you can bear it, my palms were very sweaty. It's an excellent documentary. It's pretty cool. I have increasingly bad vertigo as I get older, and watching something like that makes me physically sick. Yeah, I thought I was going to puke at one point. Oh. <laughs> Anyways. Cannot do. That's what that made me think of. Ronya the Robber's Daughter is basically free solo. <laughs> So when she's jumping over and over Hell's Gap one day, a little boy appears on the other side of the chasm and is like, hey, I've seen you before. You're the little robber's daughter. And he turns out to be the son of Matt's enemy, Orca. And and I think there's a line that she says, like, she didn't know that there were others like her, like, because there's no other children she's the only child around i did have some moments when i thought of i mean a much nicer version less claustrophobic but thought of the borrowers which we also have an episode on Hmm. um yeah where there is a child being raised in a very specific environment without outside socialization it's very secluded um this is way less claustrophobic and toxic than the borrowers yeah the borrowers (laughs) is very yeah i mean i'm sad Ronia's parents really give her everything that they can within the, you know, the realm of their their lifestyles and yeah, the way and that things work in their world. Despite the fact that they are robbers, like they are very kind and loving and warm to each other, for the most part. Like within the the groups, 
Like for they sure. they love Ronia. That's no, what for I sure. Ronia gets a lot of love. Um, I have huge problems with Ronia's father, Matt. Which oh yeah, we'll talk about. He needs uh, <laughs> he needs a lot of therapy. Uh, yeah, he needs help. Um, but anyway, Ronia discovers that there is another child, and that the child lives in the same castle, just on the other side of the chasm, and. Uh, Borka's entire crew is there. And she finds out that he was born on the same night as her too, right? Like yes. during the storm. Yeah, yeah. during the same storm. Um, and his name is Burke. So Borka's group has moved into the castle from uh, a different part of the wood where they, right? They lived in the woods. They lived in the wood, but the sheriffing was yeah. getting too... Uh, it was getting too hot out there. Yeah, the police activity <laughs> was just really excessive, and they had to leave. Um, so it, they said, hey, this whole half of a castle isn't being used. Let's check that out. Um, but Matt is... You know, legally, they probably do have a leg to stand on. I just want to put that out there. Madeline's law court. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, adverse possession has a long period, but... You know, they, who knows? Maybe they could have been there for 10 years. It's 10 years in Washington. I don't think they were. No, they weren't. My mom had part of her yard adverse possessed. That was very stressful. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Wow. <laughs> I haven't thought about that in a while. End of Madeline's Law Quarter. So Ronya is furious with Burke. She thinks of him and his dad and their clan. Dirty devils. Dirty devils, because that's what her dad and his robbers have always referred to them as. And she feels like they're infringing. And she's like, bah, get away. <laughs> um, and she, they, you know, talk over Hell's Gap a little bit. And then she runs off. Um and then she runs into him again in the forest um, and becomes... Again, irritated with him, but starts to also kind of feel like, oh, I kind of like seeing him. And maybe this is someone that I could be friends with. Yeah. Then she is in the woods and a horrible fog comes over the entire forest. And uh, these uh, sweet, mysterious voices begin singing. And Ronya is really entranced and wants to follow the voice and wander off into the wood. Yeah, she gets, she almost gets sirened. Yeah, she gets sirened. <laughs> um, but Burke prevents that from happening and keeps her on the trail and saves her life. But Ronya doesn't remember any of that. And I don't think he ever tells her that, right? No, he never does. Yeah. Which is, um, I've, I found that to be really cool that yeah, I he liked didn't that. ask for credit. I like that part of his character. I think that was great character development. Yeah. And he, he, he in general tends to, um, yeah, keep quiet about things that would only serve to like forward himself, but might make another person feel bad. Sign of a good leader, honestly. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, will, they will lead together yeah, just keep to going. further himself. That's what I meant. Not yeah. himself. Um, so they become closer um, and ultimately decide that they are brother and sister and they have a bond and like a great affection for one another. Um, they're children still yeah. at this point. I mean, she's like 12. Yeah, I don't think we ever know. There's one point, because I was waiting for an age clue, and at one point she says, like, I've been through 11 or 12 okay. summers. Okay, 
Yeah. Okay. Great. Thank you. Yeah, it's hard. Surprisingly hard. Sometimes because well, they don't some drop of these books many hits to, at all to and know I, how old your child protagonist is. And I feel like in this book, it was by design mm-hmm. so that you be more universal. A larger age range. Yeah, that you can relate to it. Ronya tells Matt and the others that the the other clan is living on the other side of the castle. I think this is before she and Burke become friends, um, and they essentially just say okay there's no way we can really get rid of you right now um and they're using a rope ladder to climb up the cliff to Mm -hmm. get into the castle it's very separated like there's yeah clear chasm between them they're like oh whatever i'm gonna be angry about it but i'll just leave them there yeah i think that matt has his like rage stroke as usual Mm -hmm. like he like freaks out Mm -hmm. and is yelling and like yeah he doesn't handle um adversity very well and that winter is a horrible winter. It's super snowy. Um, nobody can really leave the castle. Mm-hmm. And Borka's clan and Burke don't have the stores built up. Because they just moved in. Because they yeah. just came there. It's unfamiliar terrain to them. And so they are starving to death. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Then Ronia sees Burke at mm-hmm. some point, And that's when she finds that out because he's really skinny. Yeah, she starts to dig out... Uh, sort of tunnel through the rubble at the bottom of the chasm (laughs) down below in the like dungeons of the castle and manages to meet up with Burke that way because they hadn't been able to see each other in the wood because they can't go out because the the weather was so bad yes Um, Ronia stopped going out after she went skiing and got stuck in a hole um, with her foot out in a was it a rump hob or was it was a gray dwarf because they were all getting a grumpy or no it was no it was a rump hob yeah (laughs) struggle because i think that rump hobs are a lot smaller than gray dwarves and that's how they were living in a hole right as opposed to like in caves or like underground mines i found that entire scene with the rump hobs to be like all i could think about was the wee free men the the neck mech feagles oh yeah totally because it was very much like when tiffany uh, goes to visit them for the first time. Mm-hmm. That's what it reminded me of. And they're, they like use her foot yeah, as a cradle, a cradle for on the their foot. And they're like, it's perfect. Yeah, because they're like, what are we going to do? There's a foot in our house. And they're like, oh, okay, we'll use it. <laughs> and Bor- uh, Burke saves her from uh, freezing to death too yes. because she can't get free. Yeah. Um, so they have another bonding moment. But then, unfortunately, Burke is captured by Matt's men. And he uses this as his way to attempt to force Borka's group out of the castle and says that they will put, they'll give Burke back when they leave. And Borka says, well, we can't leave now. It's the middle of winter. Um, They says, okay, well, we'll put him in the dungeon until you're ready to leave. So basically we'll just let him die in the dungeon. Um, so there's everything's really stressful and Ronya is just dying because he is her brother and her father is being terrible and her dad is the worst. Yeah. So she jumps across Hell's Gap again and goes and joins Borka's clan. Yeah. She she hostages herself. She hostages herself. <laughs> yeah. In an attempt to try to bring some sense to everyone. Mm-hmm. Um 
And then at that point, they are exchanged back. But then Matt disowns yeah. Ronya. He does a you're dead to me. And won't acknowledge her existence um, or say that he has a daughter and uh, goes to sleep with Noddle Pete, one of the brothers. <laughs> yeah. Um, and essentially like his wife won't have anything to do with him um, and Ronya is incredibly hurt by this obviously Um, and it turns out Burke is having you know some similar problems so the two of them decide they're going to leave the castle and live in the wood together and at this point it is spring it's the beginning of a new year in the wood Mm -hmm. um so they go to live in bear cave which is a cave that ronia knew about from when her dad was younger he had lived there he Um, considers it to be his cave yeah he thinks of it as his cave as he does so many things matt's wood matt's mountain matt's cave it's very possessive (laughs) kind of exhausting yeah very colonialist. Yeah. Um, no, that's why I said typical as I was thinking like imperialism. <laughs> For sure. Uh, but they have this just glorious period yeah. um, that is incredibly picturesque, uh, very like tender and loving. They are just living out in nature, um, basically having their own Walden. Um, it's, and, it's really lovely. Uh, making friends with deer and, and a horse. And a horse um, that they save from a bear Mm -hmm. and eating fish and berries. Um, And, you know, it's not always comfortable. It's not always It's it's the woods. They're living in a cave. (laughs) They live in a cave. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But they have this love for one another and they have, you know, their resources that um, they uh, developed over the years Veronia, especially growing up in the wood. Yeah. Um, and they fight sometimes, but not like they, they resolve it. Yeah. They make it, they make it through. Yeah. Um, and at a couple different points, folks from Ronya's clan come and bring them something. Yeah. Um, so like some flour, um, or, you know, generally like little pieces of news, um, not not all Pete, but, uh, Skinny, a uh, little snip, little snip, little snip, little snip is just wrapped. <laughs> uh, all the robbers' names are great. Um, little snip comes and tells Ronya that her dad still um, is pretending that she doesn't exist. Yeah, I think, and like I, won't let anyone talk about her. And yeah, and I can't tell if at that point he. Th- well, not old Pete, because it's his plan. Not old Pete is the brains of the bunch. Um, and I'm not being facetious when I say that. No, um, if they think that's going to motivate her to like come back and confront him, um, but it doesn't. And then uh, Ronya's mom, Levis, comes and says, you need to come home at this point. Winter is coming. Mm-hmm. Winter is coming. And you aren't going to be able to survive out here. Mm-hmm. Um and so Ronya, you know, at that point says, well, Matt has to invite me back. I mean, yeah. he's still not pretending that I even exist. Mm-hmm. And Burke is super sad through all this because no one from his clan comes. I couldn't stop feeling for him. Like, Ronya gets these visitors and his folks are like, eh. 
He's gone. Whatever. <laughs> and granted, they don't know the wood as well. Right. And, it would be and they're also to find like, him. But come on. They're, it doesn't even seem like they're trying. No, yeah. It, it doesn't seem fair. Bit of a bummer. Like nothing's wrong with Burke. There's, there's no good reason why they would be better off with him gone. Yeah. Maybe there's a reason why he was so eager to have a new family member. His family sucks. Um, and ultimately, Matt does come and... He uh, asks Ronya to come home. And he, like, kind of is peaceful with Burke. Like, he says to him, like, I'm not going to try to kill you. <laughs> uh, you did well. Sleep died. Most likely kill you in the yeah. morning. Most likely kill you in the morning. Um, and, yeah, he essentially invites Burke to come live with them. Um, and he's very begrudging about it. But he's like we're not turning you away and clearly Ronya won't come home unless you also leave right. this cave mm-hmm. rather than uh, as Burke admits, sacrificing yourself to die in the winter because you know, there's no way you can survive. Yeah. It's a lot of like interesting sort of conversations about pride and what it, what you'll allow yourself to do. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And they go home and Burke goes and lives on his side of the castle, but he and Ronya, um, see each other every day. They still hang out. Um, and they've created the first contact between the two groups that isn't just complete aggression. Mm-hmm. And they decide, okay, we need to come together as one or else the sheriff and his soldiers are going to eradicate us. Um, they have a trial by combat and that wins. <laughs> Yeah, it's, the trial by combat is extremely violent um, and descriptively written. Right, like literally the only thing that's off the table is crotch kicking. Like yes, otherwise, you're allowed to do anything else. Gouge, punch, scratch, <laughs> kick. Yeah, bite. <laughs> yeah, pretty endless. Um, but then they, then Matt is the chief. They have a feast. And Ronya and Burke announce that they will never become the new robber chieftains. So yep. they're ending the line of work that they've been doing. And instead, they're going to be miners, which also isn't great. <laughs> but you're not outwardly stealing from people. And At least it's silver mine and not like know. an asbestos mine. <laughs> Although, wait, they say silver mine. Yeah, it's yeah. a silver mine that uh, Grey Dwarf told Noddle Pete about in yeah. exchange for saving his life many years ago. Yeah. And Noddle Pete tells Ronya this before he dies, mm-hmm. um, yeah. which he does at the very end of the book. Um, and so that that's it. That's that's the end. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Ends with relative peace and prosperity. And a a bright uh, future. A bright future. Since we haven't read this book before, we will discuss our general impressions. Can't compare it to what we thought as kids. Um, Would you like to go first, Mads? Yeah. I enjoyed this book so much. It surprised me a lot in how... uh, like a lot of times in fantasy books, it, gender roles get under my skin in a way that I can't even really articulate. Um, in this book, that wasn't really the case. Mm-hmm. Like they didn't go out of their way, like to point out what a woman Ronia was constantly. Mm-hmm. She was the progeny of 
the chief and his spouse. So it was just like, she's going to be the next leader, um, which I liked. Mm -hmm. Uh, And as we've already said, she was kind of the, she was the dominant one in the relationship. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, I don't know, this, this book is so, it's so comforting. It's really full of, valuable lessons like the one off the top of my head just because you know you were just talking about the ending where Noddle Pete dies and uh, there's there's a couple sentences about it that are like really really gentle and comforting and like I don't know I felt like that was purposefully for children to be like yes you know death is not good it's it's sad it's hard but you know you can come to peace with it um, and the way that it did that in like only a few lines was very impressive <laughs> and it's full yeah. of stuff like that. Right. There are really, um, deep for lack of a better word, moments and reflections throughout mm-hmm. the book. Yeah. And it is, you know, most on its surface, a coming of age story, but it's also really about death. Mm-hmm. And that is, a theme that comes up again and again and is really felt by the young people as well. Mm -hmm. And I thought that not all Pete dying was such an important moment because like you mentioned, there, there were those very graceful lines Mm -hmm. about what death means, but then there's also, we get a few different reactions. Matt throws a temper tantrum essentially. That's and how he says, reacts to negative stimuli. Because <laughs> yeah, I think I think the interesting thing too about this book is for a book ostensibly mainly about two children characters, Ronya and Burke are really adults in their maturity Mm -hmm. and the way that they approach the world. I think there's only one child in the book and it's it's Matt. Matt. Um, He has clearly arrested development. Um, Like just because he believes that he, like he's the biggest and the strongest. Like he's a paragon of toxic masculinity. Yes. Yeah, it's a funny combination of arrested development and toxic masculinity. Yeah. And when Nadal Pete dies, he's saying, I, he's never here. He says he's never, he's not here and he was always here before. Mm -hmm. And he was always supposed to be here. Mm -hmm. And Lovis says, no, he wasn't. And none of us are. We're all going to die. Like, Mm -hmm. this is a conversation that's all being had, you know, within a few pages of, you know, clearly a beloved character passing mm-hmm. on. Yeah. Um, and I, it not only feels like it's valuable for young readers, but for adult readers as well. Yeah. Um, and I didn't mean to take away your impression. No, no. I finished. mean, gen- generally I, I really liked this book. Yeah. The, the most important thing to me was how uh, wise it is. <laughs> definitely. Like I, I definitely, took some lessons and reminders from it myself. I think it has like obviously so much to say about um, the pitfalls of pride and about sticking to the old way mm-hmm. just because you're afraid like you don't know what else you can do. Um, but yeah. as, and it's like really gracefully shown that like not all Pete knew all along what they could do, but he also knew that Matt wasn't going to go for it. Mm-hmm. So he didn't try. That he had to wait for the next generation. Yes. 
Yeah, exactly. And so there's a lesson about like generational wisdom mm-hmm. too. And like mm-hmm. you you have to admit the mistakes of your forebears so mm-hmm. that you can move past them. It, like this this book is just surprisingly deep. It is. It's it's very wise. Mm-hmm. It's it's really rich. Um, it's superficially extremely pleasing. Yes. As it's well. A, it's a beautiful <laughs> so, forest. And like, I, I thought about if I had read it as a kid, it would have been in my just staples mm-hmm. of, of literature shelf because there is a whole part of it about the kids leaving home yeah. and creating their own beautiful home yeah. in a cave where they like subsistence live mm-hmm. in a beautiful forest. Like that, that's the building blocks of children's fantasy, oh, you know? For sure. But then at the end, we also get the lovely passage from Ronia when she says to Matt after they've moved back home, mm-hmm. but have gone out riding on their wild horses that they become friends with um on frosty winter days she says it's now so lovely to be able to do this because i know that we'll be warm again and safe tonight Mm -hmm. and we're not going to be yeah sleeping in a cave freezing our toes off she put it nicer than that but (laughs) um yeah there's really that duality of like young people exploring their freedom and independence but then also still being kids in some capacity and wanting like the comfort of her mom singing the wolf song to her, which is the song that her mom sings every night when they go to bed. Um, It's just so joyful. (laughs) I I felt it's really endearing heartened and bolstered by this book. Truly. Yeah. And I think like we've touched on most of my immediate impressions too, but there was one passage, um, that I think to me spoke not only of the eventuality of death, um, but also of depression and the experience of it. Um, And I think something that's interesting is that this is the last, um, this was the last novel that Astrid Lindgren wrote. um, And she wrote it when she was 72. And after this, she only made uh, picture books. So, like, this was her final sort of thesis. Um, and which, which is really lovely and makes sense. This does not read like it's one of the author's first novels. Oh, my God. Like, it's pretty masterful. No, yeah. And we, we talk about this often, how we love um, fantasy books that are written very poetically, yet um, succinctly. Mm. And I think this is another book that falls into that category um, where the language is very beautiful, but nothing is excessive and and it's still accessible. mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Importantly. Yeah. I think this, um, would be very manageable for like a wide range of reading levels starting pretty young. Mm -hmm. Uh, and this is why, uh, we, you know, say that we're a YA fantasy podcast, but we do cover children's fantasy too, because Mm -hmm. I think the delineations also get very muddled, especially depending on when the book was published and exactly what like sub genre of fantasy Mm -hmm. it is. And something like this has so much value for me reading it right now at age, um, 33. I don't know. I was like, is she going to be able to pull this one out? I don't know. After I turn 30, I feel like it's just like, 
I know. I, I turned 30 last year, and now I feel like I'm just like, okay, I'm just going to stay 30 now. Like, I'm just going to, that's what I'm going to tell people for the rest of my life. <laughs> I just, yeah, it takes a second, it takes a second yeah. to remember. No one, no one needs to know how many more years on top of 30 I've got. Well, I'm not trying to hide it. I just genuinely, I don't know. Right. It just seems kind of like, okay, I'm definitely an adult now. I'm an adult, you know, I can read a joyful children's book about the forest and be like, this is about death (laughs) (laughs) and also depression. And I know I have a penchant for saying that books have themes about depression. (laughs) I was thinking about this the other day, the other night when I couldn't sleep, I was remembering um, the main character of Homeward Bounders cold foot feeling that was the representation of him never being able to see his family again because oh. he was he had passed out of time and they had all died. <laughs> it's a good thing to be thinking about in the middle of the night. Also have a great episode on that book, Homeward Bounders by Dan Owen Jones. Yes. Um, yeah. But... Uh, Yeah, I think it's also really important to think about depression when you are in your better moments, because then it feels so much more temporary and manageable when you are deep in it. Because when you're in depression, it, it feels very, like, inescapable. Yeah. It so, is permanent. Yeah. Hope is lost. Mm-hmm. Um, but the passage that I was mentioning um, is this. These warm summer evenings are lovely for riding, said Ronia. And she thought, why can't it always be summer in the forest? And why can't I always be happy? She loved her forest and all that was in it. All the trees, all the small lakes and springs and brooks they rode past, all the mossy outcroppings, all the wild strawberry patches and the blueberry bushes, all the flowers, animals, and birds. Then why did it sometimes feel so melancholy? And why must it one day be winter? (sighs) (laughs) We both have our hands on our hearts. (laughs) And it, if we're deep sighs, it, the the last like paragraph for the last couple sentences were also incredible, like of the book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It ends with um, a beautiful picture of that. Yeah, Ronya and Burke kind of exploding back out into the spring, and then Ronya and has one of her, her spring screams. Yeah. Oh, I love her so much. Just the unbridled appreciation for nature. Um, and sometimes I, I, I don't yell happily, really. I guess, <laughs> I guess I, I talk loudly. I don't yell happily because it makes me think of what are the ways in which you do yell? Well, <laughs> well let me tell you. The, the kinds of ways in which it is not advisable to do so in a densely populated mm-hmm. area. Mm-hmm. If I, it like anger yells, like I'll put my face in a pillow or sometimes yeah. like in my life, I've gotten in the car and started driving because then I feel like no one can be upset by the angry right. yelling. Yeah, because, it's- <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, it made me really, really want to like, go to the woods and just like yell for the joy of it. To have so much excitement and happiness and um, 
ecstasy within you that Mm -hmm. it needs to have a verbal outlet, like an outburst. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's something to aspire to. And I think these days, any little joy feels like a lot bigger than it it once did. Yeah, Um, And I totally relate to, to wanting to be in the woods, be in nature when I'm not sleeping well. And I'm like, um, I kind of just broke a month of bad insomnia. We um, broke it. Yeah. It's, Ooh. I would say it's broken as of the last couple of days. Um, Your cats are behaving at night. They're doing what they can. <laughs> um, and, uh, Whenever I get really tired, I just want to be in wide open natural spaces so bad. Like Mm. I fantasize about just being in a grassy rolling hill. Mm. Um, I don't know why. (laughs) It's just that craving for like peace, simplicity, um, like sunlight yeah Yeah. a nice breeze like Mm -hmm. just you know basically being in breath of the wild (laughs) well and these are very uh, doing a lot of like mindful self-care lately and Mm -hmm. what this is making me think about is like you're describing sensations like that's a mindfulness thing right is just observing all of the stimuli around you and just kind of taking them in and sitting in them and like not feeling any kind of way about mm-hmm. it. So if they're all very nice sti- yeah. stimuli, then it's going to be like a truly happy place. Yeah, no, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, I also had a uh, sleep tape that a friend made for me when I was Long a teenager. Yeah. Um, that was, I don't know where she got it from, but it was supposed to be a tape to like help you get a very restful sleep, right? Yeah, but it was only supposed to be like a nap because the tape was like 40 minutes long and it takes you down. And then at the end, it's like, all right, time to get back up. <laughs> so it's not, you have to take it off like halfway through. It was supposed to be for like power naps. So it's a limited <laughs> use sleep tape. <laughs> but I used I I used I used it a lot. What like, was on the tape? It was just a voice that talks to you okay. and nice voice. Yeah, it was a nice voice. Mm-hmm. Um it was a man's voice and it started and it was just hi, today we are going to enter into a deep sleep. <laughs> And then he takes you down a staircase and then you're in a little glade and then you go up to a chalkboard and like write something nice on the chalkboard. I can't remember what the exact instructions were. And then you like continue on through the forest. So I think the sleep tape has also informed because I have listened to that thing. Hundreds of times. Wait, I used I to listen to it on my though. Walkman. If if he when does he stop talking and you're sleeping? Or he talks while you're sleeping? No, he stops talking and there's just like nature sounds. Oh, and then okay. so he, he isn't. It's not. He's, a he's the not omnipresent. Time. No, there's a lot of silence throughout. Oh, okay, gotcha. yeah, but there's like you have different steps that you arrive at basically. And then you'll be like quiet in that mental place that you're supposed to be at for a while. It's like a guided meditation. basically. It sounds almost a little bit like hypnosis. I wouldn't know. (laughs) That's, that's what hypnosis is, is guided meditation. Yeah. Yeah. Totally call it that. But then at the end he has you like go back up the stairs and stuff. So you're supposed to return to 
waking well, consciousness. You don't want to go back up the stairs. <laughs> you don't go back up the stairs. No, you led me here. I'm staying. Anyway, <laughs> I don't know if I'll leave this in, but... You should leave part of it. But that's one of the reasons why I think that's associated. And back to Astrid Lindgren. So doing a little research about this book, um, one of her most important causes later in her life um, was the fight for the for animal welfare mm-hmm. um, for animals living on especially factory farms mm-hmm. um, and then also the preservation of uh, open spaces okay. in Sweden um, and uh, Astrid Lindgren was actually an important voice in the green debate um, oh, that's so cool. And she also loved Walden, which I already mentioned by Henry David Thoreau. Um, and she grew up and then lived in cities for pretty much her entire life mm. and had this longing to experience the forest mm. and enter a different culture that wasn't so based on industry materialism right um and i think that all really informs the way that ronya approaches her world and the way that she's raised i really like the way she's raised actually it's pretty cool because she's raised by like a group of people like she's raised by their whole clan or community yeah she is and i think that's why she uh, and 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 she has this mindset that we already mentioned of um you can't be uh, afraid if you're going to go and be out in the wood which is true and if she is going to be doing these you know pretty unsafe things that she does out in the woods um she needs to be confident because if she falters she is gonna fall into the river into hell's gab or get captured by a harpy i'm thinking about free solo again (laughs) that's like you gotta be confident man or you'll fall literally a mile to the ground and it's kind of one of those paradoxes where it's like you have to be very good at something to in order to do it successfully but you have to be confident in order to get good at it Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah. but but that's one reason why i respect and appreciate Ronya so much because she motivates me to say okay I'm going to approach this in this confident way Mm -hmm. and that is going to get me through yeah and the only time she has fear starting to creep back in is when winter is coming and she and Burke have said to themselves well I guess we're gonna die in the cave (laughs) yeah it's a pretty base level fear you know starving and freezing to death in the winter yeah but 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 they've also i mean from burke's side i I also get it because it does feel like his family has forsaken him at that point ronia seems to just have a lot more love around her but there's also the clear problem of burke's clan having to leave their home right so they have other you know they're lower on the hierarchy of needs like they they haven't been able to right achieve stability mm-hmm. and safety right. um so, so they have less time to lavish love on their offspring yeah unfortunately sure. and it's probably also different because she is a girl and he's a boy That's and you were talking true. about gender roles in the book which i also do want to touch on um because they are very interesting mm-hmm. they are it's not that they're non-existent. No. Um, because Lovis especially has to do so much. Like she cooks for everyone, um, makes them clean themselves. Uh, 
is everybody's the one mom. who's like keeping including food her husband in the larder like preserving things to make sure they're going to make it through the winter mm-hmm. like essentially doing all the planning and they go out and rob <laughs> They bring back the raw material. I'm not saying there's not work involved there, but I just feel like all of the mental and emotional labor really falls on Lovis. But yes. at the same time, if something's happening that she doesn't agree with or doesn't want to engage with, she does not. She disengages. Yeah. And when Matt is like having a tantrum and throwing food at the wall and stuff, she says, you're cleaning that up. Like mm-hmm. you're being ridiculous. Yes. Yeah. Um, and Romeo, yeah, I appreciate that she could stand up to Matt, but like she was mm-hmm. the only one for sure. And Ronya also isn't treated like she has to be extra careful because she's a girl. She's right. not allowed to do mm-hmm. certain things because she's a girl. I think she gets the exact same experience as they would have given a male child yeah. when she's turned out of the castle and into the wood. And yeah. like you mentioned, there's never any doubt that she's going to succeed Matt as the chief. Yeah. Um, there's never... They're devastated. Matt is devastated when she's like, no, I'm not. I won't not gonna be, be a rocker. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah, there's never any question of that. Um, there's also a refreshing lack of romance between Burke and Ronya. Mm -hmm. Um, I really feel their bond as best friends. And even though uh, like part of that is that they are children. Mm -hmm. Um, but I feel like a lot of other books would have made there be like some sort of her heart fluttered or like, right he had never looked at her this way before, you know, something along those lines. Because they're at the age, if they're 11, 12, that they like might be starting to hit puberty um, Mm -hmm. and experiencing some of these things. Um, But there was instead just like such a pure, beautiful bond between them that didn't feel sexual. So I liked that too. Yeah, their relationship is really special. I I know what you mean. Okay. Animals? It's just like animals, animals, animals in this, in this book. book. <laughs> There's so many. There's so many animals <laughs> in this book. Uh, it's and some great horse friendships. We haven't had a good uh, a good a horsing around. <laughs> crossover episode for a few of yeah for a few of the books we covered I I don't really know what the last was um they have their own horses um and then when they're in the bear cave they find a wild mm -hmm. horse um whose foal was just killed by a bear bear. and they drink her milk because she doesn't have a yeah she needs the milk yeah so it benefits everyone to be milked as they say and i love that she was not domesticated she just she returned Mm -hmm. to her herd and uh, um when i think before they left they were like oh she's pregnant right or like she will have another foal or something yeah that's when they stop milking her Her milk is drying up and the season is turning so Mm -hmm. they know that soon enough she'll have another baby mm-hmm. um yeah and this is also when burke helps to teach ronia something really cool which is very different from how her dad thinks where he's wanting to possess everything mm-hmm. and burke tells her you shouldn't capture one of these horses and take it to the castle like and make it, it yours. Be right. like how can you take 
something free mm-hmm. and exert your dominion and authority over yeah. it, um, which was also super refreshing and, yes. you know, helps inform the way the two of them are thinking about how they're going to be living their lives when they're adults and what their trade mm-hmm. is going to be. Yeah. Um, because there is so much discomfort around telling Ronya that they're robbers. <laughs> and she thinks of it as like, there are just things left for them and they take them basically. And then when she like learns that people don't like being robbed, she gets upset. I I think it's very effectively done because you totally like you buy that as a kid, she doesn't question it. She's not suspicious. She just is like, okay, that's the way Mm -hmm. of the world. Like, it's like how when I thought when I was a little kid and someone like the first time I heard that on the other side of the world, it's daytime when it's night and vice versa. And uh, I saw the kids across the street playing at night, which once it was dark, which like I wasn't allowed to do. And they weren't kids that I knew. And so in my little kid brain, I was like, oh, it's because they're on the other side of the world. (laughs) Well, I didn't know where we were going. (laughs) And I was like, dang. So uh, I thought that the other street was the other side of the world and I did not question it. I thought that it was day when it was night here and like it didn't extend beyond those kids in their yard. When and I didn't question this? it. Oh, I was like six. Oh, interesting. But because, you know, little kid thoughts like they don't always you don't need all the information before being very oh. confident that like, ah, oh, yes, I understand this. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. <laughs> The horses that they do end up gradually, not even taming, but they become friends with them. They get comfortable with each other. Yeah. Yeah. They they start to like one another and they take the horses on fun races against one another. So they enjoy that too. Um, Savage and villain are the names that they give them. (laughs) Um, And uh, they also provide them with, you know, I mean, the animals really feel like people <laughs> when they're living in the yeah. wood because those mm-hmm. are the what the folks that they interact with every day and they're very and important they have to relationships them. with them yeah um like they literally they, they their survival it hinges on those animals so it's yeah. like it's similar to the kinds of relationships that you'd have with your like mm-hmm. robber group <laughs> your, <laughs> with your robber clan <laughs> we all have one exactly um And then there are also three distinct types of mythological creatures in the book, um, which I'm not classifying as animals, but we need to talk about them. More well, I was thinking four because you have the dwarves, the oh yeah, there are four, the (laughs) the rump hops, rump hops. I just keep wanting to say mushrooms, (laughs) mushrooms. Okay, the rub hobs, the dwarves, the harpies, and the what? The un undying ones? Is that right? I don't think the, that's right. The sirens analog. Yeah. The sirens. They're like in the fog. The unearthly ones. Ah. Yeah, some of which we're familiar with from other myths, folktales, um, and some of which are new to us. So like giants, um, Rump hobs I'm thinking of as like tiny trolls yeah. or elves. Like, I'm not really sure. Kind of like little Wood like elves. gnome slash pixies. Yeah. You know, they're like running around in the bushes. Um, yeah. And I think it's interesting the way that they're all classified within the book too. Um, because some, they're like 
you know, along a scale of benign to harmful, we have, well, the mushrooms I'm not really sure about. <laughs> you said <laughs> mushrooms again. <laughs> okay. I don't know what's wrong with me, but <laughs> mushrooms were mentioned in Stardust by Neil Gaiman which we covered ages ago. I don't know why it's in my head. I can't stop saying it. Um, rump hob? Is that what it's, what it's supposed to be? Rump hob, yeah. Okay. And I'm not... Like, when I just Google mushrump... Um, oh, there's a studio album by Griffin called Midnight Mushrumps. Well, I will be listening <laughs> to that. Mushrump, plural, mushrumps. An archaic word for mushroom. Hmm. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> guess we get the same google around here (laughs) um anyway so yeah the gray dwarves can be helpful or they can be can be dangerous they're really funny they like angrily mutter at you they're pretty mysterious too like i don't know do they have cities like and they gather in groups to attack and they say that they're gonna like bite 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 what's the phrase that they say Bite, um, bite and tear or like something like no, that. No, because the harpies tear and slash. They all have their phrases, all their dangerous <laughs> phrases. They're like Smeagol, Gurgi, yes. Yeah, it, it reminds me of Gurgi. <laughs> um, but then uh, the harpies are genuinely scary. Yeah. Um, and harpies are always tough for me these days because... Because they're like literally based on a stereotype of like the shrill woman. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the very conception of them is yeah. so sexist. Right. It's like, they're old, they're ugly, they're women, and you don't want to hear them talk. Yeah. <laughs> like every bad thing that you can Or like in Voyage of the Basset, where they also are yeah. like incredibly gluttonous. Mm-hmm. Like they just take all of your stuff. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, and... I really thought that at one point in this book, someone would get captured by a harpy and we'd see they talk this, a like, lot about it. We'd see this like forced labor that they put children to. Cause I was like, what is harpy society? Like, like what is yeah. their home? Like, yeah. you know, and it seems, it all seems very um, tenuous. Yeah. <laughs> I can't really, you know, it's not like they have a castle. Maybe they do. I don't know. You don't need a castle for forced labor, but anyway, I'm kind of rambling. <laughs> um, but I liked seeing the interplay between, who truly has dominion over the wood or whether the wood just is the wood and no one can own it. Yeah. There were some good messages there. Yeah. Definitely. For because sure. Because everyone is on relatively shaky ground in one way or another. You know, no one can really get like a firm, safe footing on capturing that land. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's, yeah, it's a really good lesson about the shared nature of, you know, the commons. Yes. Yeah. And about occupied land, I think. Yeah. In general. Yeah. One to close out animals, just like animals in this book. Um, oh, a great quote from Astrid Lindgren. So apparently uh, a Swedish school book publisher in a textbook about religion had an excerpt from Ronia for some reason. I, that sounds interesting. Yeah. Um, they, the the textbook author wrote that the gray dwarfs in reality were ordinary stones in the forest. 
In a letter to the publisher in 1985, Astrid Lindgren wrote, and who is it that is taking the liberty of such a meddlesome, or dare I say simple-minded, interpretation? The great dwarfs, mark my words, are the most gruesome little living creatures, (gasps) though cowardly, that ever frightened a child out of its wits. And as long as I live, no adult interpreter and destroyer is going to come and fool 6,000 children or so into thinking that in reality there are no fairy tales. (laughs) Wow. I mean, it must have been a section in the religion book being like fairy tales aren't real. Magic isn't real. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. But also, what a burn. <laughs> what a great takedown. What a terrible Swedish religion book. school book like, publisher. Oh, like, uh, here, here's our religion full of magic and uh, like <laughs> mystical rituals. No, I know. And that's the, <laughs> that's the fundamental problem with teaching children a lot of christian-based faiths it's like well magic did happen in the bible but but nowhere else not for you (laughs) not for you only for jesus yeah that always really threw me as a kid didn't understand that at all let's talk about pretend food pretend food hungry book at times yeah um there is you know a lot of storage of food for the winter mm-hmm. eating of food that you might not really want to eat but it's all you have left i've never had horse's milk in my life no <laughs> no but i suppose probably the best tasting horse's milk is going to come from a, a wild horse that lives in like a pristine untouched woodland I think so <laughs> yeah. yeah it's probably gonna be pretty primo stuff yeah i think so um and i really appreciated the um i thought it was super funny that when burke and ronya first moved to the cave they're so excited because they catch a big salmon Mm. in the river and they're like yay could anything be better than fresh wild salmon cooked over our little fire and then Astrid Lindgren is like, five days later, they hated salmon more than anything. <laughs> and their mouths seemed to dry up when they put it on their tongues. Yeah, I mean, I I, I like salmon a lot and I'll, I'll eat a lot of it, but... Uh, I, I can see it getting real old if you're if it's every meal for Salmon a week all straight. The time. Yeah, it's, yeah, and I mean, it's too strong a flavor. We live in Salmon Central, right? We're in Seattle, in so. Pacific Northwest. Um, but I have to admit, I too get tired of salmon yeah here and there yeah. but some I've also had some absolutely glorious salmon meals for sure, um, including one that was cooked in foil in a park. It's probably yeah. my favorite one ever. Yeah, that was really nice. <laughs> yeah. Gosh, guys, remember gathering with friends and parks? Mm. That was cool. It was the before four times. Yeah, <laughs> it's just gone now. Um, there's also so many just lovely foraged things that... Burke and Ronia get from the wood um, many wild strawberries whenever they talk about like it was wild strawberry season so everything was fine and dandy yeah. um, during that glorious passing from spring to summer to fall when they're living in the forest um, which oh it's it just it's such an ode yeah. um, I also saved a passage from when Ronia meets Burke in the dungeon and he just hasn't been eating Mm -hmm. pretty much. They've just been eating like tiny bits of flour and melted snow. Oof. Um, 
Ronia opened the leather bag and gave him the bread. Eat if you're hungry, she said. There was an extraordinary sound, almost like a little scream from Burke, and he took the coarse chunks of bread, one in each hand, and ate. It was as if Ronia were not there. He was alone with his bread, <laughs> gulping it down to the very last crumb. Yes. <laughs> We've all been there. Yes. And we don't even have to live in castles in the winter without stores of food. No, I've obviously I've never I've never been in like starvation hunger, but yeah. I totally know what she's talking about. Like to be alone with your food. <laughs> <laughs> and then she also describes Lovis's winter sorry, Lovis's winter stores. Mm-hmm. Um the wonderful bread, the goat cheese and soft whey cheese and the eggs, the barrels of salted food, the smug joints of mutton hanging from the roof, the bins full of flour and grain and dried peas, the crocks of honey. Lovis has bees. She is on top of it. Yeah. yeah. The baskets of hazelnuts and bags of herbs and leafy plants that Lovis had gathered and dried to put into the chicken soup she sometimes prepared. That chicken soup. <laughs> Ronia began to feel hungry as she remembered how good it tasted after all the salted and smoked food they had to eat throughout the winter. This book gave me memories of the Little House on the Prairie books, which oh. I uh, read incessantly. Yeah, um, it's been a while, but I, I read a lot of them too. When I was young. And uh, Laura Ingalls Wilder, you know, she grew up in hungry times. Mm. She was a pioneer. Yeah. And her descriptions of food are... Um, loving yeah yeah and there are also books that are just about bad winters Mm -hmm. um where there's very little to get but yeah she could make butter and bread sound like the ultimate delicacy and the thing is it really can be like if you're if you're hungry and you have like good homemade or you know like well-made bread and butter and cheese like mm, i'm really hungry right now (laughs) His dinner time. Yeah. Um, then, uh, yeah. So, breads, cheeses, muttons, um, and clear spring water. Uh, these these are really the the foods of the foods of life in the wood. Yeah. Um, and uh, I like it. Yeah. Yeah. No. I'm especially lately, like meaning these last few years of my life, I've. I really enjoy simple, hearty fare, um, kind of like building block food a lot of the time. So I can totally get down with with that kind of eating. It can be very satisfying, very tasty. Yeah, I baked three different things this weekend <laughs> within a forty eight no, within a twenty four hour okay, span. You made um, a Dutch baby. I made a Dutch baby with uh brown sugar apples i made beer biscuits that we had with a roast chicken Mm. and i made berry pancakes with a little raspberry compote on top my mouth is full of saliva (laughs) this is why you're here (laughs) making us all drool (laughs) um yeah so definitely been turning to the comforts of food lately good stuff so before we go to Badass Lady Meter, I do just want to, or no, let's do Badass Lady Meter and then I want to just touch on like what we think the reading level is for this book because hmm. I kind of want to, yeah, get try to get people to read it. Yeah. So our Badass Ladies, let's select them and rank them on our Badass Lady Meter. Uh, 
I mean, I really want to pick Ronia. Go for okay, it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick Ronia. Um, this is your time. And uh, I, uh, my rating for Ronia is wild horse's milk. Yum? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Question mark. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll pick her mama. Love us. Um, I was hoping we'd learn a little bit more about her past. Yeah. <laughs> um, she was really cool. And how she came to be Matt's partner. Yeah, also, she could have been chief herself. She was so much better at everything than he was. She kind of was <laughs> yeah. chief. Yeah, um, she true. just didn't go out and do the actual Robin. Robin. Um, because she is more sensible than that. Um, and they also, I don't think, were husband and wife because they never refer to them as husband and wife, which I also liked. Yeah. <laughs> as someone who's unfortunately joined... <laughs> Someone who is unfortunately currently unfortunately married. recently got married. Um, yeah, no, I still I still really like that, that it's not super like the wife has to take care of these things. She's like, yes. she's there. And yes, she is a woman, but like she's doing things her way. Yeah. Yeah. And my rating for Lovis is an adult partner. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. I think she deserves better than Matt. And Matt does grow in the book to he, some extent but then does, in the last few pages he also throws a tantrum because not old pete died um <laughs> and to be fair we all grieve in our own ways so i guess i shouldn't really hold that specifically against him but he does he be struggling with his emotions he handles as a grown man a lot worse than his 12 year old daughter does just put it put that yes. out there yes that's true. Yeah. Um, and and a second rating for Lovis. Uh, I wish I, I guess it's a rating for me related to her, but I want to hear the wolf song. <laughs> I know. I really want to even get to read the lyrics. I, I thought there'd be a, of a snatch of it at some point. I just kept thinking of uh, Sospenfach. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the um, saucepan, song. saucepan song from Howl's Moving Castle. Yeah. Uh, yeah, which I think we, we put on our website for that episode. So if you Google yeah. Dragon Baby's House Moving Castle, you'll find it. You can find many YouTube compilations of just like happy little calcifer walls. So SpongeBob plays in the background. Well, I guess we'll have to come up with our own wolf song. That's next on the docket. Sounds good. So before we wrap up the episode, I do just want to touch on, um, oh, what the reading level, what the, you know, classification for this book really should be because I saw it as something like, like we both did far wiser than a, a typical children's fantasy book. Um, it, the internet says that the age recommended reading level is like third to fifth grade. So like eight to 11. Hmm. Um, and I just think that, you know, as we often say on Dragon Babies, this is why we play fast and loose with like sometimes genre classification because we do cover like sci-fi and sometimes magical realism. Mm -hmm. um, but then also with reading level uh, where, you know, we kind of feel like YA books are really for everybody. And I think yeah. this is a children's book that also fits into that sphere. Yeah, I just... I think it's so delightful. I think that anyone could read it. Mm -hmm. Like you could have a small child read it or read it to the small child. Good book to read aloud. Or you can read it as a 30 question marks old. 
world or just give it a try. That's all we're saying. I think this And book, I guess I'm also like defending our decision to cover books for younger readers. But. Yeah, no, I mean, I think this book shouldn't have a reading level. I think that everyone can read it. Strike it from the record. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Amazon. Dang it. Yeah, just yell at Amazon. <laughs> okay. And that's it for Ronya, the robber's daughter by Astrid Lindgren. Um, thank you so much, Michelle. Thank you to my uh, mom-in-law and sis-in-law, Mia and Renee. And my husband, Josiah. My husband. All of that's my attempt at doing a Borat, my husband. <laughs> I'm working on it. I'm only like a month and a half into this. Um, and uh, yeah, for, for being of Scandinavian descent and saying, yes, Ronya, as soon as I said, hey, a request for a book I haven't read. Um, just thanks to everyone. This book put me in such a good mood, truly. I think it helped lift me out of that period of insomnia, if I'm being totally honest. Yeah, it definitely improved It coincided. My mood. Yeah. Yeah. So give yourself a little injection of Ronia. You've today. earned it. You have. If you'd like to keep up with us, you can visit our website, dragonbabiespodcast.com. We'll have some of the links to other episodes we've mentioned, um, picture of the cover, some Mm -hmm. other fun stuff. Check it out. We're on Instagram at dragonbabiespodcast and Twitter at dragonbabiespod. And you can also email us at dragonbabiespodcast.com. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, it would be awesome if you could just rate and review us right now. Just do it. It's pretty quick and it makes us feel good. I haven't gotten into review for a while and, you know, it always lifts our spirits. Um, and we see you, those who are reviewing us in other countries. They just don't come up in our main feed, but we yeah. love all our international <laughs> listeners and we appreciate you so much. Thank you. Yay. We love all of our listeners. Our next book is going to be Tahanu by Ursula K. Le Guin. Yeah, I'm excited for That's this That's right. We're going back to Earth Sea. Yeah. Um, and I think it's the right time. Mm-hmm. I'm Grace. And I'm Madeline. Until next time. Goodbye. <laughs>